Welcome to episode 26 of the Winner's Circle Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Horth. In this episode, we're joined by Scott Holland from King & Heath in Bansdale, Victoria. And we're going to speak with Scott on a number of topics, yet focusing on his personal performance as a manager and also his ability to lead and manage those high performers around him. So Scott, mate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks very much, Adam. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm nervous, Adam. <laughs> mate, absolutely no need to be. And I think it'll become evident for those getting to, to listen to this conversation. You and I know each other very well. We've actually been already going for about 10 minutes and I thought we really better hit record on this and just start on this. Otherwise, we'll be chatting all day, mate. So I'm looking forward to our time together. Me too, bud. So what I want to kick off with, listeners of the podcast know we've got a bit of a different format this year, rolling out and trying just to make sure we're keeping everything relevant and current. What I'd love to do is just probably just kick off for those listening who don't know who Scott Holland is. Why don't we kick off with some your real estate stats? So where do you work? What do you do? How long have you been in real estate? Just give the guy some broad strokes. Look. All right. As a, a simple, I work in a little office on the lakeside town of Painesville in East Gippsland, Victoria, on the Gippsland Lakes. The company that I work for is called King & Heath, or First National King & Heath. We have four offices. I've been doing real estate now for 25 years. I clicked over 25 last Friday, which was the 27th of January. Congratulations. That's a great milestone. Well, it is a great milestone. You know, it's, yeah, interesting journey, but we'll get to that. Yes. So I've been in Painesville for most of that time, not all of that time. I did transfer to our Bansdale office for a period of time, Christmas 15 to June 2018. So I came back to Painesville when my old boss, Joan Carter, retired. I came back and I'm meant to be the sales manager of the office, but sometimes I actually wonder whether I'm being managed instead of me managing. But anyway, <laughs> that's a... a and again, other experience. things we'll get to in this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's probably my background at the end of the day. I still love what I do. I mean, there are days, of course, you know, there are days where you're not 100% and all that sort of stuff. And that's all normal. I th- well, I know it's normal because we're all the same. Love it, Adam. I just, you know, that's why I get up and go. Yeah, I do. Especially after 25 years, I think that gives people a quick insight you know, who might be one or two years into their journey. And they've got to realise that you're in one of the hardest parts of your journey is that first initial period. But once you've got that momentum and you work out how to maintain that momentum, that passion doesn't fade if you do love it. So, yeah, that's wonderful. I agree with that. You know, and often in different areas are different, you know, but you got to discover yourself in real estate and you got to discover how you do it and how you go about it and how you want to go about it. And sometimes for some people that takes longer than others, you know what I mean? And for me, it took a bit of time. But yeah, 25 years is a long time. But I'm not the only one that's been that length of time. As you know, within our group of the Smarter Training Group now that many people have been in the industry a lot longer than me. And they're awesome. They're good, knowledgeable, experienced people that know what they're doing. And I think sometimes we need to learn to lever on that a little bit more than maybe what we do on occasions. You mentioned that longevity and, you know, you talk about the smarter training in general, but even, you know, specifically with your organisation, King & Heath, there's many examples of that. And listeners of the podcast, if they do or don't realise, you're actually our third guest in in as many years from King & Heath. And I think it's really good to see because not only does that tell us that you've got such a depth and breadth of talent 
within that organization. We've been actually fortunate enough to have those conversations at different times. I was thinking myself last night ahead of today, you know, we sat with Kirsten Benton and spoke to her in the middle of lockdown 2021. And, you know, she was talking about preparing, coming out of lockdown and getting ready to not see her husband and family for four months after that. You know, towards the end of last year, we caught up with Monica Morehouse and she was talking about how the market had changed throughout last year. And I know outside looking in and speaking to, to to Chris Martin, your managing director, him talking about that change in the market. So it brings us to an interesting time talking to you. And maybe let's just spend just a couple of minutes there, Scott, again, to give our listeners a bit of perspective. What is your market like at the moment versus even as recent as five, six months ago? Okay, so we were at turnovers Turnovers dropped. Prices are holding. There are some sections of our market that is still increasing, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not a cookie cutter market. So we're, you know, being rural, we are so diverse. So there are different sections of the market that are traveling really well. One of the things I think that we forget, and I was thinking about it today, you know, during that COVID period for our town anyway, and I'm sure there are others the same. The turnover of property during COVID was just absolutely enormous for our area. So people are tending to hold on now, you know, and they're settled in and stuff like that. So the numbers of listings are still low. Structurally, I think we've gone through a change. You know, when I left in 2015, just giving background is that, you know, we had over 100 listings on the book and more in Painesville. Yeah. I came back in 18, 2018, and it dried up. So our market was changing. Prices hadn't changed much, but changing. We had a couple of false starts of price increases. Bushfires didn't help, all of that sort of stuff. And then COVID hit and then preparing for the worst, and it turned out to be the total opposite thing of how the market changed Structurally, I think we're in a situation here where we're probably changed structurally for the longer term in the amount of properties that are on the that are they're on the market at any one time. And I think that's always a good measure and an important measure for salespeople is to really understand the one of the biggest guiding metrics of how your market is going is in fact turnover. It's not have prices gone up? Have inquiry levels gone up? Have prices gone up? Like there are a myriad of factors to look at, yet turnover, that's what we get paid on. We get paid on volume of transaction. That's where we bring out. Now, our value in the market on a singular basis is obviously getting the best for that property. But mm. as a business, as a career, it's your ability to put yourself in as many transactions as you possibly can. And, you know, you look at any you know, every area, of course, is different. It has its subtleties. But as a rule of thumb, and a lot of people talk about, you know, 20 years property turns over or once every seven years, it doubles. There's these broad stroke sort of numbers. But, you know, across most of Australia, it's about one in 16 years property sells. You talk about a time during COVID where, so what that's roughly about 6% of your market is going to turn over annually. Post-COVID for a lot of areas, that went up to 8, 9, 10%. That's a huge increase in turnover. That'll pair back to 5%, to 4%, to 3% over the coming years because over a longer period, it will once again average out. So you've got to be mindful and prepared for how you adapt your career to ensure your personal turnover doesn't just follow that of the market. I would fully agree with everything that you've said there. You know, it's 
Not much more to say. I think that's true. You know, it's, I mean, you get varying factors. You know, I remember Terry Ryder speaking some time ago, and it might have been at the convention or sometime before that, is that we hear in the media all the time about the market in Sydney's dropped and the market in Melbourne's dropped and in Australia it's dropped by this or it's gone up or whatever. We all got our micro markets, right? Yes. So we vary. You know what I mean? So I think we need to take that into consideration too. We're a growing market. You know, we've got lots of land and lots of buildings. So structurally from a point of view of East Gippsland Shire Council, you know, looking at the long-term projections of growth, Painesville takes up 50% of that growth in the foreseeable future till 2041. And that's because we've got the most developable flat land in East Gippsland. And that means we're going to see most of the growth. So there's those different parts within each marketplace that determines where it goes. When we talk about, you know, micro markets, let's take it even deeper down to that individual listening to this today and sitting there. How do you capitalize and work within the market that you are within. So you're talking about you're operating in a growing, expanding market. There are markets that exist out there that are the opposite. They are they are contracting markets. They might be high buyers markets where prices are being driven down. What you have to do as a professional is work out how do you operate to the level that you want to operate on for your individual goals, your expectations within the constraints of your market? And that's how you make yourself market proof. And one of those things is understanding those factors within your market. So you can, you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting yourself in more lounge rooms. Yes. But what are the lounge rooms that are selling? Where are people going and going after those sections of the market? Because you can have people dominating their local market and still doing a huge proportion of sales, even if the market itself around it has contracted. So I think we're both saying the same things, but in a couple of different ways. You know, in a contracting market or whatever you talked about, you know, it is at the end of the day, it's getting in more lounge rooms. So the more people that you speak to, like it's the simple guy, you know, I know they're all parts and all that, and one's not more important than the other in some respects, you know, and I can go through that, but Ultimately, the more poor people that you talk to, the more lounge rooms you're going to sit in, the more people or, yeah, the more people are going to talk to you about buying because you get referrals and you get all sorts of stuff. If you do the right things, you have the simple systems. That's how it is. I mean, I mean, it's as simple as that probably at the end of the day. It is as simple as working. Like it, it really is. There's, you know, there's the old, you know, work smarter, not harder. And just start with working harder. That'll take you a long way. <laughs> like it really it will. It really will take you. It will take you a long way. Scott, let's let's jump into our field challenge, and then we can really sink our teeth into some of these topics that I can see you're sort of chomping at the bit at. But you know, with this new structure of the podcast, I thought it was worth mentioning. You know, we have traditionally and focused, of course on salespeople and making sure, and you of course are a salesperson, but you also wear that hat of sales manager. Incidentally, you know, it it should be worth mentioning at the Australasian Real Estate Awards, you know, sales manager of the year. I think it's important that people listening today, this is going to be probably a conversation that more leans into the leadership and management style of your career with the perspective of sales. So I think it's a different look at getting results and how to extract them. So just to give, as I said, our listeners that perspective of where you're coming from and why. But 
With that in mind, the field challenge represents that. So I guess this field challenge is talking about momentum. And I think that's one of the things that's important in this market is when the market that's changed from a seller's market, whether you're in a buyer's market, a balanced market, with that change, momentum is one of those key things that you've got to be aware of. And one of the things that can slow you down is working on a single result for four, five, six days. And that be the only thing that you're working on. And it prevents you from going out and finding and creating new results. So the field challenge I've got for you is especially getting your sales done on the night. So how do you get a sale done on the night? Or how do you get your salespeople to be able to close harder, close better during the listing presentation? So they're getting today's results today. So as opposed to having it go overnight, losing momentum with the sale, having to go back two or three times to the same lounge room. What are some of the things you talk about to ensure today's results are today's? From a listing perspective, I think my answer probably would be preparation. I think the better that you're prepared at the presentation, however you choose to do it, Mm -hmm. the better the chance that you've got to be able to close the listing on that day. I think that's simple. I don't know how to describe it. I guess you got to talk well, to Dig that for me. What sort of preparation are we talking about? Personal preparation, the property, the people, What? where are we focusing our preparation? Well, all of those three at the end of the day. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, there's intricacies because some of the people that you know, mm-hmm. that, and that makes it in inverted commas a little bit easier. You still got to be prepared, right? You can't take anything for granted. Yes, but you've got to know the people a little bit about their circumstance and where they are. So that might be the previous conversations that you've had. Yes. Preparation in terms of the property, having a little bit of knowledge about the property and its location and from its location, you know, some of the features and benefits that it got. And then you've got to have some comparables and all of that sort of stuff. Obviously, you look at your listing kit and stuff like that. And depending on the people you you know, you get to a stage, I think sometimes you know where the conversation's going to go, particularly if you know the people previously. One of the best things that the systems has installed is your personal marketplace. Because what you're trying to achieve with your personal marketplace, it's the old word of what I still probably term is fishing upstream. If you can get, if you get to the people before they're ready and then you work with them and they come to the point that they are ready, you'll certainly be the first person in the door if you do the right thing and you'll have a lot more knowledge of their circumstance and where they're at and what their property's like. So it's easier to tailor everything that you've got to do to win the business because you've got all that prior knowledge. Yes. No, and, you know, you talk about there, I think definitely if I can expand on that a little bit, we're recording this on the Thursday before our inaugural presentation of the new version of Winning Ways. So I can see you sweating now. I'm, I'm excited. I am. But you know, you mentioned a term there, personal marketplace, which is new language that's been introduced into the system. One of the things, and this conversation we're having today is going to be released uh, like next week after we've we've done our first presentation of Winning Ways. But some new language that's again coming in. What you're actually talking about, we're going to start referring to that as setting the stage. So when you've got a listing presentation to go to, but for you to be ready for a great presentation or a great performance in that lounge room, you've got to set the stage. And that is exactly what you've said. Have good knowledge about why you're going to that lounge room today. Now, you might already know that knowledge, as you said, from your last 6, 12, 18 months worth of conversations, or that listing opportunity might come your way 
from a code A that day. They rung in, they said, look, we're calling three yeah. local agents. So you've got to know what questions to ask, what do I need to know about them? But then, as you say, also tell me about your property so I can be prepared to have the right pricing information for you because we all know that's such a, it's not the reason that you get chosen to be someone's real estate agent, but it's so often the reason you're chosen not to be their real estate agent is the pricing conversation doesn't go the way you want. And it is, you know, asking, I guess, trying to ask the right questions before you go to the presentation so that you can, you know, you can close and you can get the business on the first meeting, you know, like sometimes they're deceased estates or they're, you know, under duress or whatever. And you've got to have, you've got to try and have all the decision makers present. If yeah. they're not all present, well, then you've got to know that so you can, you can tailor it to that and then work out how you're going to get to the other decision makers. So there is all of those other bits that come into is critically important at the end of the day to allow you to close and get the business on your first attempt. Why do you think it's important to get a listing the first time you go out there? Why do you think it's important to get a negotiation, like a back and forth negotiation done as quickly as possible? What are the advantages from your point of view, Scott? Okay, so, well, from a from the listing side, if we attack that part first, because that's the most important part, because you can't sell if you don't have it, right? Correct. Is that I think the simple answer is you're knocking out your competition. You've got no, I think that answers it at the end of the day. You've got no competition coming in after to to vary the conversation that might sway people other ways at the end of the day I think it's always important and I was just thinking you know you've got to crack the door at some stage and try and get into where they really sit and what they're wanting and the reasons why you know we talk about an emotional center point or their motive or whatever you want to talk about you know once you can find some common territory and you can crack the door open and you can get in there, yep. then it makes it a lot easier for you then to tailor the directions that you need to go to help them make the decision that you want them to make, but also make the seller feel really comfortable that they're actually making the correct decision to go with you as their real estate agent yeah. in whatever circumstance that might be. So I guess from a listing side, I always... I'll follow the book, you know, and maybe that's boring, but that's what I do, you know. I'll sit down and talk to them before the tour and I'll do all of that sort of stuff and just talk and work it out and then take it from there. Sometimes they take a long time, sometimes they don't, you know. It just depends on circumstance. And I what think does that allow you to do? So doing that and being conscious about that, getting that result there and then, what, mm. How does that impact positively on, on the next results or the next days? I mean, obviously, yes, first and foremost, you get the business, but what else does that do for you? Well, I think, and I've always said it in training and here, is that once you knuckle down and you start getting the results, like confidence creeps in to yourself and you as a person. So buyers and sellers can see that, like they can see confidence. So if you're confident in the right way, and if I can say it like that helps with your trust of the people because they're more likely, so it's effective and cognitive, like we understand all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, being positive and getting the results 
creates belief in the people that you're dealing with that you're going to be able to do the right thing by them when the right time arises. That's what I think. Confidence breeds confidence. Nothing changes that. It'll always be the same. You know, you see people when they make decision to change and they make that change and and they start to go, you know, they start to improve and they start to fly. Often they never turn back. You can just see it in them. Like it's one of those things. And from a manager's point of view or an office owner's point of view, that's the satisfying part, you know, it's seeing your people fly and being the best that they can be. Oh, that's awesome. Going back to the buyer's side, it's an interesting concept of closing on the night. You know, you got to know your people. So, because there are times when it's not the right thing to close on the night too, mate. You know, you got to, some people need time to breathe and whatever that means, they've got to consider their positions and where they're at. And maybe that's because we, you know, in our area, we deal with a lot of retirees. So you've got to, you've got to attack it in a certain way that that you're persuading, you're detached. And I think that's critically important with any decision that you're detached as the agent and you're working for them. But sometimes people need, a, need time to breathe. And I think once you get down the track and you get some experience behind you, you begin to understand when you're talking to people, those people that you need to close out, you've got to have the gumption inside you to do that because some people need to be closed. Yes. Some people expect to be closed and some people need time to breathe. And you're not going to get it right every time, but the one thing I know is experience teaches you lessons and the only way that you can get the experience is have a crack and try and do it the right way. You know, I can remember many times where something's come out of my mouth and I've gone, oh, that didn't work. And then, you know, you're trying to suck those words back in your mouth, but it's gone. You can always backtrack and stuff like that. But hey, we all do that. That's the only way we can learn at the end of the day is have a go. And most of the time, if you if you study and you read and you do all the right things, you know, you get to learn the people, you get to pick up on the clues and the bits and pieces and stuff. And I think most good people will will attack it the right way. I think you're right. Most good people will attack it the right way. And when I listen to you talk about that, like, and just those broad examples, some people need to be closed, some people expect to be closed, and some people need breathing space. I think what you can do there, and for me, the way I internalize that, I always come back to intent, or as I like to say, what's your North Star? And if you're working on a negotiation, your North Star better be selling that house or that property for the best possible price. Absolutely. And so... If that means closing them hard, close hard. If it means giving them space, that's fine. But you raise a, the other half of that coin and you are absolutely right is experience. And if you're listening to this and you don't have that experience and you know that you're in those situations where you know your intent is right, but you're not sure how to execute it correctly, that's where you lean on your manager. That's where you lean on your leader. You pick up the phone and you say, "Absolutely, I don't know what to do. Like, or... I think I'm going to do this. Give me your perspective. And that's not reliant on a leader. That's ensuring you've got your team and those partners in your office around you that everyone's working towards getting the best price for that, like the best result for that seller. And so, yeah, you can compensate for a lack of experience by the experience around you. And I think that's important. You know, it's I was on the hotline early January. Yes, And I was sort of surprised, really, because I only had three calls for the whole week, you know, and I think that that, you know, and I'm not barking up the tree of the, but 
inexperienced people or experienced people like because we they need to use that hotline and, and lean on those people that are there. Sometimes it's good to get an outside opinion than in the confines of your, you know, the confines of your office. There's no harm in 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 leaning on people within your office, but sometimes it's like if you're crook and you go to a doctor, you know, you get one opinion says, I need to chop your head off. And, you know, that's an extreme example, but sometimes it's good to have it from a, that's the great thing about advice is you don't have to take it. You don't have to take you it. You don't have to take it, mate. Of course you don't, you know, and it's, you know, one of the things I used to love was our previous leader, Kevin's, and at the end of the day you'd go around and come back to, well, okay, that's what I need to do. But the thing I loved about that was that it bred confidence in you as a person that you were able to think through of a situation and come up with the right answer that yourself. Yes. Because sometimes you just need to talk it through, right? You're yeah. not looking for, I don't know, looking for stuff. You're just looking to bounce stuff off and get opinions and look at, am I going down the right track? Is this the right way to attack it? Mm. And somebody will always come up with something else and you go, oh, Jesus, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. And you have a crack at that, whatever it might be. So leaning on people within your industry and experienced people does help. But sometimes, I don't know, you just talk to people and they'll come up with something that you haven't even thought of and you go, bloody hell, that's good. And it works, you know. So it's, I don't know. I I think about that. I get that from Josh who works for me. So, you know, Josh, salesperson of the year last couple of years, he did, you know, over $2 million in fees last year and 290 something sides. Every now and then I'll say something to him and he'll he'll have this look like, oh, that's actually really good. Like it's he's surprised. That's like, oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I think the key to it is that you gotta ask the questions, right? You just gotta ask. And it doesn't matter how silly you might think it is. You just gotta ask the question because often that's the only way that you learn, right? And when you're really busy, also harping back to the Josh scenario, is that you're so busy doing stuff and you get in there and you got He'll have 20 balls in the air at any one time, right? He's trying to get something together and he just doesn't think of the simple basic stuff. The sim- And that's no disrespect or anything. When you're wound up and you're in it, yep. you just you just need that little bit of a, a prod and you'll go, yeah, mate, that's awesome. Okay. Yep. And, of course, he'll do it and it's done, right? Absolutely, yeah. Oh. Takes the advice and uses it. And that's the other key, Adam. Yeah. Remember that, you know, uses it. That's why he does whatever he does, you know, blows my socks off. Really, it's just yeah. unfathomable. That's amazing. Mate, let's jump into some results from last month. So let's take the opportunity now to have a look at our results for January 2023 and starting as always with salespeople in terms of sides. Our number three salesperson for the month, Joshua Schweitzer from Johnson Real Estate at Ipswich, led by myself, Adam Horth. Joshua came in third with 16 unconditional sides for the month. Second place went to Jane Finlay of Page and Pierce in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Jane just pipping Josh at the post with 17 unconditional sides. And the number one position from the same office, Jody Westcott, 
Paige and Pierce at Townsville, led by Todd Pierce, taking out the number one spot for the month with 18 unconditional sides in January 2023. Congratulations, Jody. It's also fantastic. We actually get to welcome six new people to the top 20 in terms of sales and sides in January. Quickly, they are in the number seven position, Helena Waite from Page and Pierce with 10 sides. Ben Haywood from Tidbolt Real Estate with seven sides. Casey Simpson, Johnson Real Estate, Logan West, also with seven sides. Lachlan Gillies, Brian Mark Real Estate in Werribee, Victoria, seven sides. Jordan Springle Flockhart, Johnson Real Estate, Ipswich, also with seven sides. And lastly, in the number 15 position, Beverly Bradshaw from Peter Lee's Real Estate in Launceston, seven unconditional sides, giving her that number 15 spot. Congratulations to everyone in the top 20, including our top three and our six first-timers. If we move now to salespeople, yet in terms of dollars, our number three spot goes to Jodie Westcott, Paige and Pierce at Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Jodie, on top of her 18 sides, did $119,108 for the month. Well done, Jodie. Number two position went to Joshua Schweitzer, Johnson Real Estate in Ipswich, with $127,378 for the month. Yet taking out the number one spot, Jimmy Wheeler, Caloundra City Realty, led by Ben Price. Jimmy, congratulations, mate. $178,379 in gross dollars for January. Absolutely well done, mate. A great month for you. Also, we're welcoming some new salespeople, four to be precise, into the top 20. The number nine position, Helena Waite. The number 12 position, Casey Simpson. Number 15, Lachlan Gillies. And number 19, Jordan Springle Flockhart. Welcome to the four of you for the top 20 in terms of dollars also. Great to have you. We move now to our BDMs. That's our business development managers bringing in new property managements for their team for January. Our number three position, Emily Smart from Hudson Bond in Doncaster, bringing in 14 new managements for the month. Number two position, Sue Cope from Iron Bridge Real Estate in Auckland, bringing in 15 and also representing the Kiwis, Monique Inglis from Ironbridge Real Estate in Christchurch. Monique, congratulations on that number one spot. 26 new managements for you for January 2023. Absolutely fantastic. And lastly, we'll finish our results with our prospectors of the month. And we want to acknowledge our top three prospectors. The number three position, Nikki Ellum from Keyline Realty in Nambour, led by Andrew Hicks. Nikki, as a sales associate, contributed three listing leads that were converted by her team in January. Well done, Nikki. The number two position went to Jack Newton from Park Real Estate in Maroochydore, led by Ben Hecht. Congratulations, Jack. It's actually Jack's first time in the Prospector Top 10, and he contributed four new listing leads converted for his team. And the number one spot from Page and Pierce in Townsville, led by Todd Pierce. Damien Pittard. Damien, it's also his first time in the Prospector Top 10, and he created an additional seven listings for his team for January. So congratulations to our prospectors, our BDMs, and our salespeople for a fantastic January and a great start to 2023. All right, Scott. So where I guess I want to take the this conversation with you, if I can, is I really want to talk to you about that balance between 
individual high performance, which you have, and also managing high performance. You've got some real high performers in your organization that some are under your direct management, some via the training that you run in your offices that you work with. That's where we're heading with this. I just, again, I want to take a step backwards just to give a bit of perspective. And I just want to start with your early days in real estate. Very easily, why did you get into real estate in 1997? What were you doing beforehand? What attracted you to real estate? Just in a quick summary of that, please. All right. Finished school. I wanted to be a real estate agent. Lord knows why. So in 1992, I went to every single real estate agency in Bansdale, every single one. Yes. Sat with them, talked to them, did all of that. The only person that gave me an interview, interesting enough, was Kevin Howlett at that time. Didn't get the job. At the time I was working at Safeway, so I took an apprenticeship as a baker. I worked as a baker, started a family, sick of night shift. So I applied for a job in LJ Hooker in Painesville. My auntie worked with Joan Carter's husband. And that's the end of the story, how that Joan got onto me. I went from an interview and then started in real estate because Lord knows why, mate. That's what I've always wanted to do. Weird. Not often that's the case. And okay, what do you think then attracted you to real estate? What, looking back as a, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, what did you think it was going to give you as a career? A career probably at the end of the day. Oh, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm a quiet person. I'm not a huge socialiser, but it's the people that attracted me and it was never about the money and this sort of stuff. Like I, that's not high on my agenda, but it was just people. I reckon at the end of the day is where it was. And I guess I like the thought of it. You never really know what it's like until you're in it, right, until you actually knuckle down and in because it's different when you're on the outside. It's totally different. Of course. But it was the people and the stuff like that. And I don't know, I guess I thought I could do it probably at the end of the day. So you thought you could do it. When you say that, I want to have this conversation in the context of high performance. You're young when you're seeking out a career in real estate. You go and, and do a bakery apprenticeship as well. Were you a performer at school, either sports-wise, academically? Like, did you have a taste of some success that you were hoping to manifest into a career? Oh, I was never really good at school because I never studied. Don't let my youngest daughter hear this, <laughs> right? I was never really good at school, but I always got the results. Mm. So I, you know, I could do it. Yeah. I was okay at sport. I love sport, but never really had a proper crack. Okay. At going further. I was good at baking. I was sort of getting to the stage where they wanted me to move on and manage and all of that. And I, I didn't want to move, wanted to stay in the area because we've got family and that here and both our we're lucky that we've got all our siblings and or most of our siblings now and both our parents live so my wife and I wanted to stay in our area and that was probably why I began to make the shift my wife had a baby I'm part of that I think and I wanted to get out of night hours too but of course in real estate you do night hours as well mate I didn't realize that when I was 25 so anyway that's all fine you're not getting up at 2 or 3 a.m. too often, though. I mean, it happens at times when you're travelling for a no. seminar. Don't you, wake up, yeah. don't you wake up at night and make notes beside your bed and go, holy cow, I forgot to do that today? Yeah, actually, yes, you do do that. I guess you but just I get you drift. You do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
those early days, you're more, you know, under, obviously, you've mentioned Kevin Howlett a few times there, obviously. Who was your first direct boss that you were answering Joan. to? Joan. Okay, so Joan, right. So at the Painesville office. And, and for those of you who don't know about Joan Carter's career, I mean, just an incredible career that spanned, you know, three decades. 24 days. years. 24 years. So she was in her third. Oh, beat now. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. But, I mean, an incredible career in her own right. The first, I believe this to be correct, and but I'm not great on history, but she was the first lifetime member of the Winner's Circle, as I understand it. So not the Leader's Circle, but the first lifetime member of the Winner's Circle, if I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. So, I think so, but, you, yeah. Yeah. We'll check out facts after, mate. Yeah, but, no, just an incredible career. My question is, let's go back to her setting Scott Holland up the salesperson. What are some of those keystone habits, those behaviours that she drilled into you from the outset to say, do this? Like, if nothing else, do this. Okay. First and foremost, it was work ethic. The only two people that, and no disrespect to anybody else, the only two people that I know that have the work ethic of Joan Carter is Kirsten Benton and Chris Martin. Joan had worked in the early days, day or night, she did whatever she had to do. She was the only person I ever knew that when you hit the go, when you had to hit go, she could make it happen. Like, and it was just, she wasn't easy to work with either. As much as I love you, Joan, she was tough. And I think that's okay. You know, I'm being careful with my words now with how we go. You know, I think we've gone a little bit softer today than maybe times past. And in some instances, that's good. But Joan would keep the whip out and keep you cracking. So I had to, you know, I had to work. I had to learn. And we were in offices opposite one another. So in my early days, one of the things I did was I listened to her conversations on the phone. So I learned how she talked to people and her inflections in her voice. You know how you talk differently to certain people and stuff. So I learned those skills. I learned how to follow up. I learned how to do a lot of the simple actions and stuff like that. And it was, I learned a lot that way, I think, at the end of the day. And just when we went to listings, if we went together, I just, I'd shut up and I'd just listen to her do a thing and how she went about it and all of that sort of stuff. So was a strong mentor for me and probably is the person that really got me going. And it took me a while to get going, mate. So, you know, it's Joan that started that process. Let's stay right there then. It took you a while to get going. Elaborate on that. And this is, I think a lot of people have started their career in real estate in the last two or three years. And the marketplace, although it presented unique challenges, there was enough going on that you had a lot more free kicks in that market to get yourself started, to get yourself established than you would if you'd have started in a balanced market. Yet there are people, and I'm thinking about people in our organization across the training group as well, that have started in the back half of 2022. And as you just said there, they're struggling. Like the listings aren't coming. I'm having the conversations. I think I'm doing everything right. I'm not converting. What did that look like for you early on? You just said there, it took you a while to get going. What do you mean by that? I'd always been in a job where you got, and it might be boring, but you get paid by the hour, right? So you do your job from three o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock or if it's Easter, it's like from three to five because you're flat out, but you always got paid by the hour. Real estate's different. When you first start and you're younger, right, I think in my opinion, and I'm maybe talking from experience and maybe I'm not exactly the perfect dude to talk to about, you can get lost 
because your time's your own, right? As much as you get trained and stuff like that, you still got to make your own calls. You still got to do this. You still got to do your own follow-up and all of that. And I think in the beginning, I got lost in that. I think I got lost in that and didn't quite truly understand what it meant to actually get results or how to get them or to have a plan in place or to have proper goals and stuff like that. And for me, it took a little bit of time to get it in my head what I needed to do. But once I actually discovered it, and I was lucky enough that I did discover it, I made the investment in time to actually study and train properly and and learn properly and knuckle in and get it done. And of course, it's the confidence things. Once you start you got to make decision to start. you got to make the decision that you're going to change or you're going to start or however. But once you make that decision, it doesn't always come straight away either, by the way. So you've got to stick to your plan. You've got to stick to plans can change and we can go through that later, but you've got to stick to it. And once you start to see, because you start to see it change and you can feel it change and a few of the results come, and then we've already gone through the confidence part. So once it starts to happen, well, you're on the road. You've just got to then stick to it and then you've got to wind the wick to the next gear, you know, because that's that continual improvement stuff. Because yeah. once you reach a certain level, you can always go more if you choose to. It's just yeah. a choice factor there. Once you get to that level and it goes on and on and on, it just doesn't stop if you don't want it to. Is that okay? No, it's awesome because I think if I'm understanding correctly, what you're saying there is if I go back to those early days, you had the modelling of work ethic. You had someone in the office, they're early, they're late, and when they were there, they were working. So you doing the same thing. But that level of autonomy mixed with inexperience, yes, I'm working, but you're obviously not working on anything that that you think you're doing work and you are, but you're not being productive. It's not leading to results. That's correct. Doubling down on too much. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit cynical. We say, oh, they're pretending to be busy. It's no, they're not. They're just being busy without thinking about how can I turn this into being productive. And by the sounds of it there, once you started, you know, a combination of experience, assessment and training, you're identifying, okay, this led to this, which led to this. So now I'm going to double down. I'm going to do more of that action and direct my training and learning to not only do more of that action, but to do it better as well. Have I got that right? You got that right. Because at the end of the day, I grabbed it and I made the decision to run with it and actually truly do what I needed to do to make it happen. And so that's a question then for those listeners is, have you had, you know, and I don't want to get all, you know, high and mighty, but if you're listening to this now, Can you pinpoint the moment where you've sat down on reflection, you've assessed your career and you've consciously made that decision? Plenty of people listening to this will have, but plenty of people will go, no, I can't. I've danced around. Maybe I've thought about it, but have you actually sat down and gone, this is what I'm doing. This is my commitment. So maybe it's not something you can artificially do, but if you can't pinpoint when you've done that, realize that you're still yet to make that commitment mentally and physically. It's the commitment to make the change, to decide that you're going to give it a proper crack. And I don't know what makes that decision. I don't know what clicks sometimes, but you get to a point in whatever it might be and and you just say, bugger this, right? I've got one life. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a proper crack. I'm not going to leave wishing and hoping that I, you know what I mean, that I've just, I've done what I've had to do. Scott, I want to talk to you about 
managing high performance because I want to talk about the subtle differences there. So we've spoken about you in your early days. Now let's fast forward to you today. You've got people within your organization that are starting out gold badges, platinum badges, and a couple of diamond badges plus yourself. So diamond badger, for those who don't know, that's someone bringing in over 1 million in gross commissions in a year into their agency. That's what a diamond badger is in our system. Scott, what's the difference? How do you approach managing, let's call them a mid-tier performer, your four to $600,000 a year performer? How does that differ to managing a Richard or a Kirsten, those diamond badges? You still need to manage them, and that's probably not quite the right word. They're in a different phase of their career. So sometimes it's more about going back and staying in it is that I think one of the most important things from my office's or our Painsville office's perspective is that We do our staff meeting on a Wednesday and then directly after the staff meeting, most officers might go on their group inspections and stuff, but I do my one-on-ones directly after our staff meeting, one after the other, however, 10 or 15 minutes or whatever. That's the decision we made to do as an office, how we wanted to roll with it. So in those meetings, the first thing I learned, all the staff are different, right? So you've got to treat them, manage them differently, right? Because they all have different requirements and stuff like that. So the key improvement in how I learned to deal with people is in those one-on-ones is you learn where they're at at that particular time in their life or their week and you ask what's going on and stuff like that. But more often than not with the high performers, it's more, you know, on a personal level of what's happening in their lives and what's going on and Because when they're high performers, you can see things if they change or whatever. So you can drill down and get into what impediments have we got there that we can remove to be able to help you do what you need to do or what's going on in your personal life. And they talk about that sort of stuff and they can get it out and then they can just do what they need to do. You still need to spend plenty of time with them because in theory, from a management perspective, not that one person is more important than the other, but the high performance bring in a lot of dollars to the business, right? So you've still got to be there helping and constructive and just guiding them if they need it and just help them fine tune their time management skills. Because often once they get to a certain level of that, it's not the income, it's not the notoriety of the million dollars or whatever it is, it's time, because it got to a level where they can afford to try and find time. So I think with those people, if that's not quite the right word, but it's trying to help them find time and how do we fine-tune that with what they're doing and dealing with the right people to fine-tune that would be my level with that. And then when you have people at new and at the other end, well, it's a different style of management. You know, it is is like more micro or you're more on top of them. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Show me your plan for the week. You know, here's the inquiry log for the week. Have you spoken to all those, gotten back to all those people? And, you know, it's teaching them the skills to be able to get consistent with their results. Once they get consistent with prospecting and following up and doing all that and they start to see the results coming in, well, then it's confidence again, right? And results lead to more results. It's just how it works. So then you can move them to the next stage and then you start fine-tuning plans and doing all other sorts of bits and pieces to get them to the next level 
And often once they get to a level, they want to get to the next level. Like it's just how it works. So you've got to manage differently, I suppose, at the end of the day. And some people I don't in here, I don't even talk to them about their results because I don't need to. It's more personal stuff to get the impediments out of the way so they can just focus on what they need to do. It's not surprising just to, to hear you say exactly what you said there when you went from high performers back to that early performance stage and then, you know, building on top of that. That is exactly running parallel to the three stages of leadership we speak about in the Sparta management system. So we talk about the micromanagement stage, the leading and coaching stage, and then the mentoring stage. And so, and we, unsurprising again, those different stages, they're not related to longevity in the office. They are related to results. And I've got an example of someone that comes to mind for me that I've been working with their leader on, but they have spent the last two years absolutely stomping, kicking, but doing well. The market's changed, even though that they are this high ranking, you know, they're a platinum badger, that leader has had to deliberately go back into micromanagement stage with them because their yeah. results have it, even though they haven't earned their, but all of a sudden their results have dipped back. So you can ebb and flow, but those high performers, as you say, you're in that mentoring stage with them. You're talking about the family. You're talking about those intrinsic motivation, mm. what's happening. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just keeping them on track. And, you know, it takes like market adjustments with what we've gone through. It takes time for us all to get our head around it, right? So, yeah. you know, but I've got to lead the way in that fact. I've got to get my head through it first, right, and then show the way. I, I guess as a selling manager, and I am now transitioning out, which, mind you, as somebody that's produced results, it's bloody hard to let that part go, right? But I, yes. for the betterment of the team and the business, I've got to do that, right? So last quarter is probably it for me for the big results. It's moving through those stages and getting your head around it and then tailoring where you want to go. And sometimes you got to... I don't know. You got to attack it from the back door, if you know what I mean. Like, yep. you got to creep yep. up sometimes. And I, I don't want to give away my secrets to my team, but at the end of the day, you got to creep up on. You just got to keep incrementally working on the things that you want to do to create the change. And sometimes there is a patience involved in that, in implementing the new systems. And if you truly believe in those adjustments in the systems that you make, it's then getting the team to believe in those changes. And once you've got the belief in the change that you've made, you're home and hosed. Yeah. Because they work on the next little change and you just, you build it that way. And it can take time sometimes, but that's what I believe in anyway. Oh, mate, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people listening to that resonate exactly with those points there. So, yeah. If I can take you down to our final three questions, which we're going to end our time with together. So our salespeople listening and the leaders and everyone listening can focus on. First and foremost, best book that you've read that's helped you in real estate. Okay. I have to think about this one, but, and it is a while since I've read it. So forgive me for that. But I remember early in the days and we've talked about goals and stuff that before, but I think what helped me actually decide and stuff was Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy. Now, I know, okay, it might be a bit typical, but for me, you know, there's something that always starts you off, you know, on the road to wherever that leads to, and that was probably it. But, like, I love Up Your Business by Dave Anderson, and, you know, there's always, I love Truman, like, but Maximum Achievement was probably it, and there's 
heaps of others. But the other thing is I've discovered YouTube, Adam, right? And I was never a real, I'm a bit of a dodo when it comes to that stuff. I love my garden and fishing and working and, but YouTube. So I've discovered Brian Tracy's on YouTube and Earl Nightingale and Dale Cunning, you know, all of that. Yep. And you get into that rabbit warren, there's heaps of it in there. Yep. Good stuff for people that aren't as big a readers but like to listen to stuff. YouTube's amazing, Adam. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some quality. There, there is there, there, a lot of that content from, you know, really if we're talking about it, honestly, the 80s and 90s and Feral Nightingale, the 60s and 70s, yeah. repurposed and updated. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. It sounds a bit cliche to, to mention, you know, a Brian Tracy book, but for so many people, because I think what Brian did as an author, your Earl Nightingales, your Jim Rohns, your Dennis Waitleys, um, yeah. they give you the fundamental, the building blocks, the foundations for building your own philosophies on. Mm-hmm. But I think that it really does, it, I think those books change the way that you view the world and how to operate within it. And that's why they're, they're such big changes because they're not talking about what you learnt at school. They're probably not talking about the examples of success and how to live life that your parents have given you. So they do resonate and allow you to build a foundation on top. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, wonderful. Great book. If you haven't read so it. For me, that's where it was because that's yeah. what started, Okay. No, I love it. Love it. Next question. What's some of the best advice you've ever been given in your real estate career that, and I put a, you know, the point of asking this question, that you lean into a lot, that you remind yourself of, and it's sort of like, it's almost a bit of a mantra that you come back to. Marto always told me, your staff need to know who's going to turn up. And for me, like as a, a manager, if that's what you're going to, if you're what you're talking about, I think your staff need to know which person's going to turn up today. So, you know, I've worked with different people over the years and certainly not so much at King and Heath, but previously, you know, that one day they'll rant and rave and the next day they're nice as pie to you and the next day it's something else. I think your people within your organisation or your office, they just need to know Scott's going to turn up, Scott's going to be level-headed, Scott's here to help, Scott's there to do what needs to be done to help me be as successful as I can and be level-headed in those moments when it's required. And I thank Christopher for that and or Marto because I'm an emotional type of dude, right? I even get emotional just talking about Marto like that. But, you know, I, like I'm an, so I'm on my heart on my sleeve type of person, but I've learned to control it a little bit and be what I need to be for the people in, in, in the Painsville office at the end of the day. There you go. Love it. I think the salespeople can take that exact same advice and translate it into how they're dealing with their sellers, Scott. I, I think that it's Absolutely. important that the sellers know who's on the end of that phone, who's walking into the lounge room, because we, you have those extremes of, as you say, it could be things going on at home or the month isn't going the way it is. But for the individual salesperson, you could have just had that sale fall over and you're about to walk into that listing. You couldn't get that deal done. You've been sacked. Like Things go great. Things go bad. We've got to know how to center ourselves for when we're speaking to our sellers, when we're in the listing, that we're present and we're consistent. So I think that there's a great parallel lesson in that, of course, for managers and leadership, but Mm -hmm. we're all in leadership roles as salespeople. We're leading those sellers and those buyers we're working with. Absolutely. Make that same sentiment. Wonderful. 110% agree. Third and final question. Mm -hmm. With the benefit of hindsight, knowing everything you know now about real estate, 
what would you give him the opportunity to go back and change? So for me, and excuse my directors when they listen to this and all of that sort of stuff, if I was the Scott Holland today that I wish I could have been maybe in 2014, I probably may have not decided to resign as being a, a director. So if I had if I had the opportunity to go back and change, because I'm a far more understanding person of myself and know what I'm like more as a human being today than what I was back then. But decisions I actually made back then was critical to the success of my career of of becoming a platinum badge and then moving through. So if I hadn't made that decision, I may have never been where I am today, but I sort of do, I miss it really at the end of the day they know that. And again, I'm my heart must leave. Like I'm just talking as it is. I miss the humdrum. I miss being in those meetings and making those decisions and, you know, having a bit of a, you know, argument about things because, you know, a business is all not always beer and Skittles. There are tough decisions we've got to make and all that. We don't always agree and that's all cool. That's how it should be. So I miss that part of, and I do miss that part of it. So if I had my time again and if, you know, would I do it differently? Maybe I would, but it may not have led to me where I am today. So you never know. You make decisions at the time what you think is best for yourself and your family and you stick those decisions and you move forward with conviction on those decisions. That's what I did and that's the answer to your third question, mate. I think if you make considered decisions, I don't think you can necessarily be wrong in those decisions. Sometimes you might need to critique those decisions. Is that okay of a word to use? But the most important part about it is the decision, is making a decision. You know, we can be caught up in things and we can be stifled not to make decisions, but it's important in business in whichever way you go that you actually make a decision, you make a call. And sometimes it can take some time to come to that decision, but you can always change it. You can always improve it. You can always critique it. But until you've made that call and you've done it, you don't know how it's going to end up. So you can't adjust it or amend it to improve it if you don't make that call in the first place. Yeah. And I think that's the most important part about that discussion there for me. You know, just listen to you say that then. There's a difference between hindsight and regret. And that's a decision, you know, you might go back and change you appropriately say if I did though, you know, it's the back to the future thing. I make this decision, it goes into yeah. the tangent. But you're not sitting here in regret. You're just sitting here with the benefit of hindsight. This is the decision I made and I can now see the repercussions of that decision. And I think if I'm hearing you correctly, you, your lesson that you're taking from that though is regardless of the outcome, you're saying the strength is in the guts and the confidence to make the decision in the first place. Yeah. And it was a big decision. You know, I many people had said to me, why are you making that decision? You know, it is a silly decision. Yeah. But they're not me. They're not my family. They're not in it. They don't understand it. You know, they're only looking outside. They're not in it. Yeah. So they can make those points or discussions. But ultimately, it's got nothing to do with them. It's, you know, you've got to make that call, whatever that might be, it's you and what you think is most important for you at that particular point in time, whatever that is. Yeah. And if you can do that, you're a better person for it. 
Scott, thanks, mate. And I think if I can circle back to a decision you were talking about earlier, and I think it's a great place to end it, is, is I come back to that person listening, sitting there. If you're in your car, if you're in your study at home, if you're running at the moment, wherever you're listening to this, and I thank you for listening to it. We appreciate the support. But come back to that decision. Had you decided to commit to this career? Have you decided to to make that rather than this is a job that you're doing, this is something that you want to do and be in a position that Scott is that 25 years, you're passionate, you're excited, you can't wait. I'm not going to say maybe necessarily for the next 25, but for the next stage of, mm-hmm. of your career. So, mate, um, on behalf of everyone at Smarter Training, I, I sincerely want to thank you for your time and, and for wearing your heart on your sleeve and being so raw and honest with us today, mate. It's appreciated. Pleasure, Adam. I look forward to seeing you next week, mate. I can't wait to hear what you got in store for us. I'm pretty excited about it and use it in training in our office. So you go get them, bud. Appreciate that support. Thank you, mate. As always, we like to finish off the podcast by putting on your radar who will be available for you on the Winner's Circle hotline and also the events we have coming up as Smarter Training. So over the next four weeks, we've got Kate Kilner from Kate Kilner Real Estate in Darwin, Barry McEntee from First National Goulburn, Paul Kunos from Hudson Bond in Doncaster, Victoria, and Colin Fulton, leader of Edwards Windsor down in Tasmania. So quite an array of leadership there from different agencies, different parts of the country. So you're gonna get a, a variety of advice, helping you get those extra results over the line. Coming up though, We're excited to say in March, we've got the Smarter Management Seminar. That's kicking off on March the 6th in Sydney, obviously New South Wales. So if there's any interest in coming along to that, you've still got plenty of opportunity to book for Sydney's Smarter Management System. We also wanna put on your radar, the first week of May is our first masterclass series of the year. So that's where we'll be doing and releasing our new goals masterclass series, as well as having a keynote presentation from Kirsten Benton, Diamond Badger with King and Heath as well, obviously working alongside Scott, who was the guest of today's podcast. So they are May 1st in Launceston, May 2nd in Melbourne, the 3rd in Sydney and May 4th in Brisbane. At the end of May as well, we also have our leadership seminar down in Victoria and we're going to talk a lot about that in the next episode of the podcast, what you can expect from that seminar. And we'll also just make mention June 12th to 14th, Winning Ways Greatness comes to Melbourne. So if you weren't able to see the delivery in Sydney, which was just this week, come along to Melbourne in June and you'll be able to see that seminar in person. Thanks again for hanging around for another episode of the Winner Circle Real Estate Podcast. If you're not already, please do consider subscribing to the podcast. We have an episode for you every single month. As you can see, this is 26 months in and we get to speak to some great agents from around the country and acknowledge the fantastic results of our salespeople. Have a great month, all the best with your results and we'll see you soon.